Our Bible reading today is Psalm 74. Psalm 74 from verse 1. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your inheritance. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees. And all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, We will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, and there is none amongst us who knows how long. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garments and destroy them. Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divide the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. You gave him his food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs, and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beasts. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full with the inhabitants of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. We come now to God's word, so you may want to take your Bible or um, get your cell phone. Let's turn to Psalm 74. And um, just before um, we dig in, just a couple of things. It's just to just to thank everybody who's been uh, doing each one reach one. Thank you so much. It's been amazing hearing uh, all the people making an effort to reach out to other people. Thank you to all of those who are helping to uh, provide food parcels and masks and uh, support, financial support uh, for those who are in need. We really, really do appreciate that so much. Um, I need to thank the team who uh, are behind the scenes. Now, this this service takes about an hour or an hour, 15 minutes. Depends on how long the preacher preaches. Um, but you need to know that, that there's a team behind the scenes and they it takes them about 50 to 100 hours to put together this service, man hours. And uh, I do want to thank them so much for all the work they do. Uh, in particular, I want to thank, thank uh, Bronwyn and Ryan and Brendan and Mathieu and Black and Daniel and Gareth uh, for all they do to, um, to make this service possible and for all the work that they have done. Uh, 
Just a couple of uh, sort of uh, general comments. Um, uh, to my knowledge, there's no one in our church family who has been infected by the virus, so we can give thanks for that. But let's pray for others who may be, may be infected or who may be, uh, may be grieving. Um, just so that you know, I'm at home, of course. Uh, Jean and I and Jean's mother stays here. Our girls are in Cape Town. And uh, God has been good to us. We're blessed. Um, and um, for your interest, I've been, I've been running every day around the garden. I do about five kilometers. It's about 40, 50 laps. Um, sometimes I only get to it at night. So uh, there's this old man running around his garden with a torch. Um, it would be, it would almost be, uh, be comical, wouldn't it? Um, we've been dealing with a series in the Psalms. So two weeks back, Eddie dealt with uh, Psalm uh, 1 and 2 um, in Book 1 of the Psalms. And then uh, last week, David dealt with uh, Psalm 42 and 43, which uh, was the start of Book 2. And uh, this week, I'm ending off the short series uh, looking at Psalm 74 um, in, uh, in book 3 of the Psalms. And then next week, uh, we're starting a new series in the book of Hebrews. And uh, I'll be uh, unpacking Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. So you may want to read that uh, before next Sunday. And we'll be looking at that next Sunday, God willing. Let me pray. And uh, so I really do need to pray. I'm recording this on... On Wednesday, it's, uh, it's uh, 1 o'clock Wednesday, and uh, you need to know I normally, uh, in terms of my sermons, I normally read the passage I'm going to preach on the Monday, and I read it through a couple of times so I can mull it around uh, that week, but I normally only get to it Friday night, Saturday morning, and so I normally spend my, my Saturdays uh, preparing a sermon, and uh, not sure what you do, that's, that's what I do on Saturday Saturdays. Um, so it's Wednesday, so it's been a bit of a scramble, and uh, I hope I can make sense of the psalm, and uh, that it will uh, be a benefit to you as we read God's word together. But let me pray that God will help me and help you, and uh, pray that God's Spirit will make His word clear to us, and that we may meet with a living God as we read His word. So let me pray, and then we'll dig in straight away. Father, we come to you this morning, and we do pray that you may still our hearts and our minds. We pray that you may take away all the clutter, all the voices, all the concerns, that we may hear your voice. We do pray for that, Lord. We need to hear God's voice. We need a word from God in these times. And we pray that you will quieten our hearts, our minds. You will open our ears that we may, from your word, hear your voice. And be convicted, be comforted, and above all, be drawn closer to Christ. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. 
All right, Psalm 74. You'll notice uh, that it's called called a maskil. Now, maskil is a uh, means that it's a musical term, or it could even be a musical genre. So this would have been a psalm that is sung uh, in the temple, uh, and uh, maskil would have been a musical genre. Could have been jazz. Could have been hip hop. Hip hop could have been classical. Could have been uh, rap. Um, Asaph, uh, it's both a proper noun, but it's also a title. So it was used of temple singers uh, in the temple. Um, so this is written by somebody like, like Bronwyn or, or Eleanor or Black, and uh, it's to be sung. Uh, and uh, um, for your benefit, I won't be singing it, and uh, everyone will be most thankful. What we have in the psalm is actually a prayer. So notice there verse 1. The author writes, O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? So here we we have a prayer. The prayer is put to song. And it's a prayer in the midst of crisis. It's a prayer in the midst of, of conflict, of confusion. Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? So one almost imagines uh, the sheep in the pasture, but there's a fire. Uh, The grass is on fire, and so there's smoke. And uh, that's the image that the psalmist gives us of his context. Uh, There's there's confusion, there's crisis. And so what we have here is a lament. It's It's a community lament. Because they're in the midst of confusion, crisis, and so they cry to God, and they pray to God. We know that it's a, that it's a believer who is praying. Uh, notice there in verse 2, remember your congregation which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion where you have dealt. So who, we, who, is, who, is, who is speaking here, who is singing here? It's an Old Testament believer. Um, who knows that, uh, that he's been redeemed, who knows that he's been purchased, who knows that he's dwelt in the presence of God on Mount Zion. Now, as in all the Psalms, uh, uh, we have uh, a prayer. And uh, it's both content and method. So there's great value in the Psalms, as I've often taught you. Uh, there's content because we can pray these prayers. We can use the words of the Psalms to pray for ourselves. But they also give us a method. They tell us how we pray and how we should pray as believers. So as we go through the Psalm, think of both those aspects, both content and, uh, and method. And uh, I'll pick up some of that as we work through the passage. Well, as per normal, as per any good sermon, there are three points. And uh, we'll have a look at uh, three points, Asaph's prayer, and that's going to take almost uh, all the time, most of the time. Uh, It's his original prayer. We need to understand the background, the context. Uh, Then I want to have a look at Jesus' prayer. How would Jesus have used this prayer? Uh, What is the connection between this psalm and Jesus? And then uh, lastly, hopefully we'll have time at the end, perhaps we won't, uh, we'll look at our prayer. Um, how we can use this prayer today. And uh, as per normal, the first point is by far the longest. So let's have a look at Asaph's prayer. Uh, 
Let me read once again verse 1 to 3. O God, O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Now we know that the background to the psalm was the fall of Jerusalem in 587 B.C when Nebuchadnezzar, who was the emperor of the uh, Babylonian Empire, uh, finally uh, defeated Israel and finally um, conquered Jerusalem. And so you have the fall of Jerusalem in 587. Let's quickly have a look at that because it gives us the background. Two Kings, turn to 2 Kings chapter 25. 2 Kings 25 from verse 8. So here's the background, here's the historical background to Psalm 74. It's the fall of Jerusalem, of the temple. Um, and the author is obviously writing 10, 20, 30 years later, uh, lamenting not only on the fall of Jerusalem, but that the nation of Israel has gone into exile. They've been taken into exile by, by the Babylonians. 2 Kings 25, here we have the historical background. Let me read from... Uh, verse verse 8. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burnt down. And all the army of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who were left in the city, and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, and the stands and the bronze sea that was in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon, and so on. So here we have a psalm which is in confusion. The psalmist is in confusion. The psalmist is in crisis. The psalmist thinks back of the destruction of Israel, the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. And in particular... His heart is broken because of the destruction of the temple, which we've just read, just read about. And he gives us some detail there from verse 4. He describes what has happened in his prayer. He tells God what has happened. He tells God how the temple was destroyed. Let me read from verse 4 to 9. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They have set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing swing axes in a forest of trees, and all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, We will utterly subdue them. They burnt all the meeting places of God in the land. We did not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet. 
and there's none among us who knows how long. So the psalmist describes what happened, the, 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 uh, the war cries, the, the, the swinging axes, uh, the torches burning, uh, every vestige of worship, the, the altars, the, the places of sacrifice, the instruments of sacrifice, all the signs of God's holiness, God's presence has been, has been destroyed. Even worse, verse nine. Uh, there's no, there's no prophet. There's no, there's no messenger from God. They've all been destroyed. They're all in exile. There's only silence. Uh, there are no signs of God. So it's a picture of, of destruction. If you were to stand, if you were to make a movie, I think you'd you'd uh, have the camera some way off, and on the horizon you'd see. Uh, this this uh, the city destroyed uh, with uh, with with smoke and with with fire and with the smell of of burnt flesh and of rotting bodies and of sewage. Uh, it's a it's a it's a tragic, pathetic, um, desperate picture uh, of what has happened to to Israel, to Jerusalem, to, to the temple. Remember, the temple symbolized the presence of God. And that's been destroyed. Now, a question one may ask as you look at this passage, especially in verse 4 to 9, where, the, where, where Asaph describes to God in, in great detail um, what has happened. So... So a good question as you read this is, I mean, why does he do that? I mean, surely God knows. I mean, it's not as if, it's, it's, it's not as if God needs information. It's, it's not as if you have to say, Lord, doubtless you, you saw on BBC News this morning. Uh, um, no, our God knows all things. He, he knows the beginning from the end. Um, well, you see, it's a, it's a key for us that our relationship with God is, is that of a father and a child, a son and a daughter. Remember, some of you have young children, and it's been tough these five weeks. You're, those of you with babies and, and young children, I admire you that you've survived. I hope you survive. It's been tough. Yo, yo. And uh, you know when, you're, when, you, when you watch your child and your child falls and perhaps falls quite badly and, and, is, and is wailing and crying and uh, runs into your arms. And, and quite often you will, you will say to your child, tell, tell daddy what happened. Well, of course you know what happens. But part of the relationship is where the child then tells daddy what happened. Well, that's what's happening here. There's a relationship of a child with his or her father. And we're sharing our pain, our anguish, our, our hurt with God. Um, Psalmist had two questions that, um, that mystified him. Uh, he was mystified by two questions. Uh, they were kind of ringing in his ears. The one question which, which, which is, well, both of them actually are the questions we normally ask in these kind of contexts or situations. The one is why. Why did you let this happen? 
Verse 1, O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? And that's the question of a believer, both then and now, isn't it? We do ask God why. Why has this happened? Why did it happen, have to happen in this way? Um, the second thing that mystifies him is, for how long? For how long must we live in this hole? Um, verse 1, O oh God, why do you cast us up forever? Is it going to be forever, Lord? In the verse 9, who knows how long? Verse 10, again, how long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff, is the enemy to revile your name forever? Verse 11, why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? So, it tells us that, that Asaph is totally mystified at how God works. He, he has no idea. He's a child of God. She's a child of God. This absolute uh, catastrophe has happened. I was trying to imagine what, what, what would be similar in our context to the disaster that the psalmist is, is going through. Imagine if our country was invaded. Uh, not sure who would invade us. But imagine if we were invaded by an invading army, perhaps from, from, uh, from China or uh, perhaps Donald, uh, perhaps uh, um, perhaps the Zimbos. Uh, um, we love you, Zimbos. Um, but imagine we're invaded. Parliament in Cape Town is destroyed. The Union buildings in Pretoria is is uh, is burned to the ground. Uh, all the CBDs in in Joburg, in Santon, in Cape Town are are smashed. Or perhaps it's a perhaps it's an invading virus, uh, unseen, invisible, everywhere, in houses, in schools, in police stations, in hospitals, in taxis, it's everywhere. That, that's, I think, what the, what the psalmist is going through. And the psalmist is saying, why? Why have you let this happen? And Lord, for how long is it going to go on for? I've often taught you from the Psalms that one of the distinctions, differences between us and the Psalmist so often is that when we go through times of anguish and distress and depression, and uh, we too often clam up when it comes to God. We just keep silent, we clam up, we keep our distance. The Psalmist goes through the same emotions, the same struggles. The Psalmist goes through exactly the same things we go through. The difference is, is that the psalmist tells God. The psalmist talks to God. The, the psalmist shares his, his anguish, his lament, his struggle, his frustration, his anguish, his depression. I've showed you on numerous occasions, but let's have a look at it again, once again, the honesty of the psalmist. So once again, what we have here is not just content, we have method. The psalmist is teaching us how we should pray. Part of prayer is being honest with God. So let's look again. We've, we've looked at this before, but we need to be reminded of these things, don't we? Psalm, just notice the honesty of the psalmist. Psalm 6, verse 1. Psalm 6, verse 1. Have you got it there? 
O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Have a look at Psalm, uh, Psalm 10. Uh, same idea. Psalm 10 verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. Lord, where are you? When I'm in trouble, where, where are you? Are you playing hide and seek? Are you, are you absent without leave? Have a look at Psalm 13. Same thing. It's even stronger. Psalm 13 verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Yo, what honesty. It's extraordinary. This is in the Bible. God determined, God wanted these prayers in the Bible to show us what real prayer is. He wanted us to learn. This is what prayer is. This is how you pray. You're honest with God. You're telling him what you're thinking. You're telling him your, your struggles. It's okay to weep. It's okay to lament. It's okay to cry out in anger and frustration and despair. He's your heavenly father. Tell me what happened, he says. Remember that lovely quote by C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called A Grief Observed when he was grieving the death of his wife. I've read this before, but it's so appropriate, isn't it? Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He's, he's grieving the death of his wife. And um, he says, meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will find, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and the sound of bolting, and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. End of quote. If you've gone through grief, or if you're going through grief right now, you will know exactly what C.S. Lewis is talking about. The psalmist knew what C.S. Lewis is talking about. That is real prayer. Notice, however, that the psalmist does find comfort. So let's have a look at this. Let's have a look at the comfort that the psalmist finds. And he finds it in three ways. He finds it by looking up, by looking back, and by looking forward. So let's quickly have a look at that. Where does he find his comfort? Well, first of all, he looks up. And, uh, and, and the first note of that is in verse 1. Oh God. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? 
So the psalmist has a pretty good grip on the sovereignty of God. He understands that the immediate cause of their suffering is the Babylonians. But he knows that the ultimate cause is God. Now that sounds quite strange, doesn't it? But the Bible is quite clear. God is not the source of sin or evil. But God is not trumped by sin or evil. God will use sin and evil for his ultimate sovereign purposes. And so the psalmist looks up and in the midst of the chaos and the crisis and the confusion and his tears and his anguish, he looks up and he understands God is sovereign. God is in control. God will see that his purposes are accomplished. God knows what he's doing. See, when we're in a deep hole, my dear friends, the answer is not to look within yourself. That's the, that's the last place you must go. Don't look within yourself. It's most depressing. It's pretty dark. No, you look up. You look outside yourself. You look at God. You look at the doctrine of God. You look at the knowledge of God. Paul tells us, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things, and we know that all things work together for good. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do we understand that? Well, of course we don't. But we do know that God is sovereign. We do know that God is in control. We do know that God's purposes will not be thwarted. See, on Good Friday, it was pretty dark. It doesn't seem as if God's purposes would be accomplished. Good Saturday, it didn't seem as if God's purposes would be accomplished. No, we had to wait till Easter Sunday. All things work together for good. He looks up. He looks at the nature of God, the person of God, the character of God, the doctrine of God. That is where our comfort is found. It's not found in ourselves. He looks back, verse 12 to 17. Have a look at verse 12 to 17. So he looks back at two things. He looks back at the Exodus with Moses taking the nation of Israel out of slavery through the wilderness into the promised land. So there are poetic allusions to the Exodus in verse 12 to 15. And then he looks at creation in verse 16 and 17. So let's have a look. Where does the psalmist find comfort? He finds comfort by looking up and then secondly by looking back. Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Lephiathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. So what is quite important here are the pronouns. So in verse 4 to, four to, um, four to 8, notice verse 4, he's talking about God's foes, God's enemies. And uh, the pronoun they comes up over and over again. They were like those, verse 5. Verse 7, they set your sanctuary, they profaned. Verse 8, they said to themselves. Verse 8 again, they burned. 
There's the enemies of God. But now verse 12 to 17. Notice how the pronoun changes. From they to you. Yet God my king is from old. Verse 13. You divided the sea. Thinking there of the exodus. Of the parting of the Red Sea. You destroyed Egypt. You broke the heads of the sea monsters. You crushed the heads of Lephiathan. You gave him as food. You split open the springs and brooks. Remember how Moses struck the rock and there was water to provide water for God's people. And then you'll notice from verse 16 that uh, the author, having talked about the Exodus, now talks about creation. So he says, look back, not only at the Exodus, but look at God's creative act in creating this world, creating the universe. It is God who has established the structure, verse 16, of day and night. It's God who has given us the moon and the stars and the sun at night. It is God who has given us boundaries on the earth. It is God who has determined um, the seasons. He has made summer and winter. So what is the author doing here? He's reminding, he's reminding himself and he's reminding his listeners in the midst of turmoil and tragedy and crisis. Their comfort is found when they look up at God and when they look back at the acts of God, how God has acted in the past. God acted by rescuing his people in the Exodus. He is the God of redemption. But even before that, God acted in creating this world. He created this world. He sustains this world. He's the God of redemption and he's the God of creation. And so there's great comfort when we look back at who is the God who holds us in the palm of his hand. Well, he's the God who redeems his people just as he did with Moses in the Exodus. He's the God who created all things, who sustains all things. You know, when you're going through a difficult time, it's good to go out at night when there's no clouds. And look at the stars. Look at the moon. Look at a sunset. Look at a sunrise. And despite the chaos that may be going on around you or in your own heart, in your own mind, you see the stability of creation which of course points us to the stability and security of a creator. We look up and we remember who's in control. We look back and we remember the God that we worship, even in the smoke and the ruins that we find ourselves in, says the psalmist. In the, even in the midst of all this, we remember he's the God of redemption. He's the God of creation. Second point, very quickly. I think this is a kind of psalm that points us to Christ and the cross. If you have a look at Psalm 74 verse 1, is that not a cry that Jesus would have, would have used, would have thought of as, as he hung on the cross? Oh God, why do you cast me off forever? Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 4 to 8 is a destruction of the temple. Now, you may know that the temple was a symbol of the presence of God. And when Jesus came, he said, you no longer need a temple, you no longer need a tabernacle, because I am the symbol of God. I am the presence of God. I am God myself. And yet, even that temple of Jesus, 
was under great duress on the cross. You see, Jesus actually is the one who fulfills the covenant, verse 20. Jesus is the one who is the fulfillment of God's great promise that I will have a people for myself. You will be my people and I will be your God and I will dwell among you and I will bless you. And Jesus, this psalm is fulfilled in Jesus. God's name is rescued in Jesus. God's cause is rescued in Jesus. God's covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. How do we use the psalm? We need to end off. Well, I think we can use the psalm to pray in our crisis, in our struggles, in our tears, in our despair. It's a psalm we can pray. It teaches us to be honest with God. But it also teaches us to look back and to look up. It teaches us that the God of redemption, the God who sent his only son to die on the cross, not only died on the cross, not only went through the darkness of Good Friday and the darkness of Easter Saturday, but it's the same God who brought us to the light of Easter Sunday. We look back, we have the privilege of hindsight, and we see how the psalmist prayed that God would remember him, that God would rescue him, that God would not abandon his name, his cause, his covenant. We can look back and say God did answer that prayer in Christ. And so our comfort is found not only by praying this prayer, not only by using this prayer for ourselves, but knowing that Christ was the fulfillment, was the answer to the prayers of the psalmist. Well, let's pray together. Let's spend a few moments of quiet as we reflect on God's word. You can tell God where you are. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that when we read your word, we hear the voice of God. We pray that your word may wash over us, may cleanse us. Your word may fill us. Your word may strengthen us and encourage us to be faithful to Christ for another day, another week. We thank you, Lord, that you are indeed our Heavenly Father, who loves us and cares for us more than we can imagine. And so will you help us to, to turn to you and to trust in you as a trustworthy God. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us during this Church at Home service.
We'll be back, God willing, same place, same time next week. And do remember to uh, read Hebrews chapter 1. I'll be starting a new series, chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. It's looking at the person of Christ. And uh, I hope you have a good, a good day, a good week, and may God bless you.